Welcome to the Social Feed Podcast. I'm your host, Missy. Thank you for listening. In this episode, if you are a business owner and you're wondering, how the heck do I get Google to see me? We're going to tell you all about what you should be looking for online. We give you tips, tricks, and some really great advice from Ruth Tambernino and Sam O'Byrne, who are digital brand strategists at Harvard Interactive. So let's get into this week's episode, number 98, Auditing Your Online Brand. So what's the first thing you should be doing when you are auditing your online brand? Uh, I would say the first thing that's that you should do is use an incognito window. A lot of people think that they're coming up really well in search results for their business, but the reality is that they go to their website 12 times a day. So Google just keeps bringing them up at the top of the search result. Like, oh, I'm doing great. Yeah. Yeah. It's a false sense of vanity, actually. So what you want to do is, in case you don't know what an incognito media, uh, window is, is at the top uh, right corner of your um, screen, there's like three dots. You click on that and there's an option for a new incognito window. And the screen's going to be black. So you know that you're in the right spot. <laughs> and that has zero cookies, n- no save data or anything. So it's going to be a true search result. Uh, so you want to start there and just Google yourself and see what happens. Uh, or Google your industry, maybe not your own website. And then also maybe have some friends or you can do it yourself, but you want to search from different locations as well. So searching from the same location that you're sitting in is obviously going to bring up a search result that's because that's near me, right? So Mm -hmm. that's number one. That's where you got to start. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more with that. Um, Giving yourself a search and and to Ruth's point, search both for uh, your name and, you know, possibly your name in quotations, maybe even your phone number or address. Um, See how those things pop up, how somebody might be searching for you, Um, as well as searching for some of your your top products, Um, your top products or service lines. See if you're showing up in some of those uh, searches that you expect you should be. Uh, see where you're showing up. If it's page two or three or four, it might not necessarily be so valuable. Um, and once you kind of can get, do that that basic, you know, how do I feel about my my search rankings or where I show up, then you can get into a lot of tools that we use to really identify how many keywords you're ranking for, what those are and things. But oftentimes the best place to start is just give yourself a, a Google search. Yeah. So what's like a good report card? Like you type in your name incognito mode and you're in the top. 10, or maybe your list status five. Is that good? Is that bad? Obviously, there's room for improvement there. I would say that you want to be on page one for sure. Yeah, I'd say, if anything, if you're searching for your own name, you want to have multiple listings on page one. You want to show up multiple times from different ways. One might be your website, another might be a social property, or um, even uh, depending on your industry, you might want your Yelp reviews to show up or your reviews from another another, uh, location. So it's one of those things where if you're searching for your own branded name, I hope that it, there's multiple results that should show up on that first page. Um, if you're searching for your services, your main service lines, you want those to be first page, but you should expect to have more competition there too. So you might be you know, two or three, even if somebody else is number one, that's not the end of the world. Um, but if you're searching for your own branded name, I'm, I'm definitely hoping you're showing up right away and, and again, multiple times. What's more important, searching for your own name or searching for products or services that you offer? That's a great question, and it all depends on the business. And I would say as well, you want to be Googling your competitors too to see how they're coming up because it isn't just about how you're showing up. It's it, what it's what are they doing, uh, which also can give you some strategy on, hey, they're doing this. Maybe I should be doing that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, and I would say that uh, to to Ruth's point, one isn't more important than the other. Um, if you have a lot of brand recognition in the space, if everybody knows your name, then you definitely better be showing up for your name. But if you want to be uh, reaching out to people who've never heard of you before, then those services or your product lines are going to be extremely important because if they don't know your name and that's the only way you're coming up in search, then you're never going to be able to expand your audience uh, through uh, searches on Google, Yahoo, Bing. So I search for like car dealer near me and I get, you know, Automart, Sally's Automotive, Metro Motor Sales, but those are all in the map section. Right. And then Luther Auto, which is a pretty big dealership in town, is down. It's still on the first page, but it's in the in the more organic section. How do you get in the map section and how important is that? Well, it's really important, especially as we're seeing more of those car dealership near me searches. Mm-hmm. So it's actually become a lot more important than it even was maybe a year ago. Uh, but it's important to remember that the map section and the organic section both have their own algorithms. So just because you've mastered one or the other doesn't mean you've mastered both of them. Uh, so I will also say that you'll see those rotate just like the organic search does. So just because you're coming up on the first page of the maps, you might not be tomorrow or next week or whatever. So this is an ongoing process that you want to be monitoring all the time. Yeah, you bet. Um, I would say that as far as uh, making sure you do show up in the map section, uh, first thing is most businesses that have a physical location probably already have a maps listing. It's important to make sure that you control it, though. Uh, if it's if it's your business, you find yourself in maps, but you don't actually have control of that, uh, you will actually have the ability to go in there and say, this is mine. Um, Google will go through a process to confirm. Oftentimes, they might uh, send a physical postcard to the address listed, things like that, with a code on it. Um, but it is important that you have control of that and that you Use that to best of your ability. Add images that, that you've added in. Make sure that all of your about information there is accurate and optimized. Make sure that your hours are accurate. Um, another thing is just like you can place ads in organic or, or above organic search results, you can place ads in the maps as well. Um, so if you're not showing up there, it's important to, mm-hmm. to find a way to. Um, I guess that brings in another point of reviews on Google Maps are extremely important. No matter how great you feel like your web presence is, if somebody's going to find you in Maps, a lot of times the only thing they'll look at is that, re- that those review numbers, and then they'll they'll decide what business they're going with. If you have a, yep. a 2.5 and you're right next to somebody who's got a 4.5, chances are they're going to go with the other your competitor. Yeah, that brings up another good point about uh, conversion. So coming up on the first page uh, is great, but if people aren't compelled to select you for various reasons, mm-hmm. having the right content, having an SEO strategy, those are all really important uh, just to make sure that you're actually getting people to engage with you. Uh, the other thing, too, as far as placement goes, is we see a giant jump in conversions if you're in the top three to five positions versus those five to ten positions. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and it's it's harder for us to get a client when we're doing SEO for them from page. It's harder for it's easier for us to get them from page two to page one or even page four to page one than it is for us to get them from position eight to position four. That so getting moving up that first page is a, is quite a challenge. When you guys have talked about reviews, does the number of reviews you have factor into that algorithm? Like the more reviews, the higher you'll show up, or is that more just a vanity thing? So definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. Both. Um, yeah. So the number of reviews definitely matters. Google wants to make sure people are having a positive um, experience. experience. Yeah. Because yeah, mm-hmm. if people are using Google search and then they find a business on Google search and have a terrible experience, some people might actually blame Google. Uh, and Google doesn't want that to happen. So, yeah, if you have a, a larger uh, number of reviews and they're all mostly positive, 
Google is more likely to show you than a competitor um, when they have the opportunity to show both of you. So let's move to the client's website. So if you're listening and you know you have your website, what are some updates or t- maybe some cheat tools you can use to make sure that it's set up for success to be shown on Google? One that I really like because it's super easy is just think with Google. Just, mm-hmm. you know, you can just literally Google that and you can do a speed <laughs> test for those of you who need a little help. That's okay if you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're just going to put your URL in there and it's going to run a, a report card for you and it's going to give you some information that may not make sense to you, but it's going to make sense to a developer. Mm-hmm. If your site's really slow or whatnot, it's going to give you a picture of things you can do um, to to improve that that you can share with the developer. That's an easy first step. Yeah, and I really like that because uh, making sure that you have a good uh, mobile site speed in particular uh, mm-hmm. is a big ranking factor for Google. So if you run one of those speed tests, like Ruth said, um, that should give you both a desktop and a mobile score. Um, and even if it does spit out a lot of recommendations that you might not directly understand, hopefully you have a web developer who can help you out and make some of those changes. Um, another tool that I might recommend right away would be, uh, <clears throat> well, when we're talking about free tools, mm-hmm. uh, would be SpyFu, S-P-Y-F-U. Um, that was- <laughs> Rude! <laughs> Sorry. Nice. Wow. He uh, looked right at me when he com. said that. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, um, it is a great tool because uh, it can allow you to see um, up, you know, the number, the volume of organic keywords that you rank for, um, where those are within those top 50. Um, as well as what some of those keywords are. And the other big benefit to SpyFu is you can run your competitors' websites through there too and see if there's a big competitor in your space and they're doing things better than you. You can start seeing what areas they might be edging you out on. Um, Now, with the free version, you only get some results. And if you want to pay for it, I think they might even do 30 days free trial, which might be enough for a small business. Mm -hmm. Not for an agency like us, but Mm -hmm. for a small business, that might be enough. Um, that kind of tool can give you a, a lot of great ideas on what you're doing well. And if they're if you're not ranking for all your service areas, maybe you better start writing some content about those and getting them online. What kind of what kind of stuff is Google looking for? Like you said, page load speed and, and mm-hmm. like is it number of pages on the website? Is it amount of videos, text? Like what it's, what sort of stuff is Google really looking for? It's all of those things. I was just mm-hmm. gonna say that another tool that um that would be really invaluable to pay attention to is just your Google Analytics because mm-hmm. user experience is, I mean, it's probably in the top, you know, two yeah. of what Google's gauging. So those page views, the bounce rate, how, how long somebody stays on your site, do they come back? All of those things are playing into it. And Google um, Analytics is free um, mm-hmm. for a reason because they're also capturing all your data and probably using it but um, <laughs> but you still that's literally the richest information you're going to get as far as how people are engaging and how are they finding you you bet um, and as far as the um, you know what ranking metrics are most important Google there's some you know well over 200 different items that they that they take into consideration with those rankings um, and you have to remember that those are they're taking those into consideration for both you and every other of those you know three billion listings that come up when somebody searches for something. Um, so it's important that you do take care of some of those big ones that are, you know, like page load speed. Is it mobile friendly? Um, also, as far as the content goes, you want to make sure it is readable by Google. A lot of times people will upload an image to their site um, and they'll just upload it as, you know, JPEG 7438.image or whatever. Um, and if they do that, then Google, when it's reading through the site, will look at that image as, as blank space and the only information it has is, you know, image, what, 43782.jpg or whatever I just said. Um, and it won't say that this is an image of, you know, a family in front of a home. Um, so oftentimes making sure that you feed that information to Google um, 
is really important, uh, which brings up another point of um, ADA compliance. Uh, if you have a website that <clears throat> uh, somebody who is uh, blind couldn't use, for example, that can also have have impacts. You need to make sure that something like a screen reader, somebody who's blind is using your site, it, it's going to be able to go through and read all the content to them. And Google will dock you if it's not, if it's not ADA compliant. Um, or if you're uh, trying to trick Google, they'll also dock you for those things too. How does Google, um, is there like a, another cheat tool that you can use to make, to see if your site is ADA compliant or anything like that? It's so or you just have to really know. Here's a, this, is, this is going to become a huge focus of conversation in the next probably I mean, it already has become more and more, but I would think in the next 18 months, we're going to be hearing even more about it. Um, and and the requirements are so vague that it's really difficult for just about any business. The the first businesses that have been affected really by it, um, I would think, are the healthcare uh, industry and also uh, legal. Uh, those are the ones that have been... I think making a huge migration to become ADA compliant, mm-hmm. whereas some of our, you know, e-commerce and things like that are are a little slower on the on the um, adoption rate there. Yeah, um, if you, for what it's worth, there aren't a lot of super easy tools for checking everything yeah. with ADA compliance. There are some for checking certain areas. For example, if you're, uh, um, you know, for users who are uh, blue green or sorry, red green colorblind, um, eight, uh, Adobe offers tools that allow you to make sure there's enough contrast uh, between your color and the backgrounds, the text color and the backgrounds, things like that, so that even if you are colorblind, it would show up appropriately. Um, what I would recommend for that is. Uh, Google WCAG 2.0. Those are the um, web access or website content accessibility guidelines. Mm, um, sounds fun. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, super fun. If you have insomnia, you just pull that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that does give you kind of the three main tiers of ADA compliance. Everything from, as I mentioned earlier, making sure that. Uh, Somebody who has a screen reader could that screen reader could read all the content to them all the way through to um, uh, the the top tier where if you are doing a live video it creates closed captioning for audiences who are deaf. You don't necessarily need to hit every single one of those, but I would say that in those guidelines they're broken out by um, A, AA, and AAA. If you can hit all the AA ones, um, which most medium and small businesses can, uh, you'll be in good shape. If you're a Coca-Cola of the world, you better be hitting those AAAs too. Yeah. But um, Well, it yeah. does. I think the, the your, your online profile does play into how important this is. We actually have a client right now who is redoing their website, and it's a giant project because they had a um, person trying to purchase a ticket on their website and was unable to do so because of a site issue that they had and filed a lawsuit and actually won. So Mm -hmm. it's not, it is something that matters. Uh, It's just something we're going to start hearing more and more about because sadly that community of people who've kind of had to tolerate not being able to, you know, read things or whatever, they're, they're, Gaining a voice, which is a great thing. Oh yeah, and you, uh, but and you want them. At, you yeah. definitely yeah. want that. Yeah. Um, we all, we want to avoid lawsuits if we can, and maybe just uh, be more proactive. But it is mm-hmm. it's a really uh, it's a hot topic that I think is just going to gain more momentum. Yeah, especially with uh, you know people accidentally discriminating. If you only allow applications online, but then you have somebody who's colorblind can't can't go through your website, or somebody's right. blind can't go through your website. You know, are you discriminating against that person? You kind of are, you know, not intentionally, but it's one of those things that needs to be taken care of. Just like having a handicap accessible building, um, you you should it should it's something that should be thought about every time you build a new website. Mm-hmm. As long as we're talking about all these super fun um, regulations, <laughs> what about <laughs> the GDPR uh, compliance? Can you talk a little bit about what that is and what you need to do? 
<laughs> yeah. Um, Just hide. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, with the GDPR, um, it's all around data privacy. And right now, it's a it's those are laws that really only affect uh, users located in Europe. Uh, if you have people coming from Europe coming to your site, uh, be sure to either block them so they stop coming or. Or get up on those uh, those regulations really quickly because you do need to allow them to have access to all the information you're collecting and the ability to, t- to tell you they don't want you to collect it or what means you want to collect it for. So at its most basic, that's pretty much um, GDPR. But it's one of those things where it's uh, it is an extremely complex. It's so, so complex that there are currently companies that all they do is GDPR compliance um, consulting. So if you do work heavily in Europe, I would recommend contacting one of them and making sure your legal team are contacting a lawyer about it as well because um, the fines can be astronomical. Um, and for what it's worth, even though right now it's only European users, mm-hmm. America's likely to follow suit at some point once Congress gets their stuff together. Well, so maybe in 40 years. All, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, I would also say that we're seeing more and more websites and any consumer is seeing more and more that are just, it's popping up with, mm-hmm. you know, you got to click that I agree to your, you know. Accept the cookies. Yep, and, yep. Uh, you know, yeah. which is just a smart thing to do. So I would say as a business owner, just t- go through that step so mm-hmm. that you are just covering yourself. It's yeah. Yeah. not that hard to Even on that. HubbardInteractive.com, when that all rolled out, our legal team was like, you need to put on yes. some verbiage on the bottom of your site about yeah. that. Yeah. So just I'm like, oh, I want to bring this up during this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> Another that's thing a good to think topic, about. sadly. It's kind of annoying from a user standpoint whenever I go to a new it website is. and I have to click accept almost well, and every I don't single really, time. But I'm I get kind it. of like mm-hmm. rebellious a little bit. So I don't really <laughs> like to click the yes, okay, you can have my information, but you do. But you I just got to go it, along with and it. And it makes sense to me. Like, mm-hmm. I want to make sure I'm giving my any info that they might get to the right people and not the wrong people. But yeah. still, it's one extra click sometimes. But you're when still I'm just voluntarily to saying, yes, yeah. you can have <laughs> all true. of my information. Yeah. The truth is they have it anyway. <laughs> so it's it, not like you're really, <laughs> yeah. So we talked a lot about um, keywords coming up in searches using those mm-hmm. keywords. And blogging has been a huge thing that you two talk about constantly with clients. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about how someone can start a blog and what's the best way to get that content out there. What I always recommend for a client to start a blog is come up with your top five or 10 frequently asked questions and write an article about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the easiest content for you to write because you already know the answers. Uh, but then thinking with um, search terms in mind so that the, the art is, can I write this thing where it's going to be SEO friendly, but also be consumer friendly? And that's not always easy to do. Um, but that's where I would start with blogging. Yeah, I think that's that's a really great point. Starting with those you know, frequently asked questions, because it's likely that people are searching for those as well. Um, the other thing to note about blogging is uh, creating a, a content calendar, planning it out. Um, a lot of times we'll have clients who are like, yeah, I, I run a blog and they they started out good and they wrote three or four topics and then it just sat by the wayside because they were busy running their business. So if you write out a content calendar and have dates with specific categories you want to write about, or specific topics you want to write about, you're going to be much more likely to follow through uh, with that content. Um, I'd say another thing to note about blog writing or any, you know, I guess really blog writing in particular is have a mixture of content. Have some that's evergreen content like those uh, FAQs or, um, or you know, 10 things to help your basement never flood, whatever that, whatever yeah. your industry is. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's when you might search at any time, as well as here and now content. Uh, like we just hired Missy. Missy is the best social strategist this side of the Mississippi. Oh, you wow. know. 
<laughs> I'm lying. Different Missy. <laughs> different Missy. That's a different podcast. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Feeling the love. But it is important to have a, a mixture of those content. That's stuff that's going to be forever there, as well as some of the, you know, if you have press releases or new products, things that are more important today than forever, having that mixture of content does feel more natural to people than just having, you know, 40 BuzzFeed articles in a row. How long should a blog be? That's actually changed. It, it mm-hmm. Like six months ago, it was like 250 to 500 words. And now Google's looking for more like white paper type, 1500 word type blog. Mm-hmm. So we still on average are, are sticking to the 250 to 500 mm-hmm. uh, blog or word count for our blogs. Uh, but we are seeing more and more need for that longer. Uh, but it has to be strategic. I mean, you mm-hmm. don't just, you know, nobody's going to read a novel and you have to remember that if you're writing papers like that, it's literally just for the search engines. It's not for your consumer because it's unlikely anybody's actually going to take the time to read all that unless you've got an extremely mm-hmm. um, interesting topic, which certainly there's some out there. But Yeah, I would say t- tacking on to that, um, you know, write it as long as it's necessary for the topic. Um, you know, don't. Don't don't just lengthen it just because you have to lengthen. I gotta it. get those keywords in there, Sam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do do what what feels natural. Because again, people need to read it um, if you want them to be engaging. Um, or if you're writing it just for for the search engines, then you know it might be a little bit longer. But even then, you don't want it to be. You don't want to write an eighty page novel if it's never going to be useful to anyone because that's not a, that's productive use of your time. Is well, the- say say you're writing a blog for more so for the search engines than than the user. If that page rarely gets visited on your site, is that going to hurt you in search results at all? You know, the, my my thought on on this whole thing is if you're thinking about a topic and you're not sure if it's valuable, type it into Google and see what the search results look like. If there's three million websites that address that content, that might be a good one to write about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yep. so that's... Yeah, you can also use uh, tools like Google Trends um, and see yeah. if people are talking about that or searching for those topics already. Um, so I would say, yeah, I'd agree with that. O- you know, writing content just for SEO, um, if nobody's coming to the site, it won't necessarily hurt you, but it's not necessarily going to help you either. Yeah. You do want to write content that is going to generally have people coming to the site and sticking around off of, based off of what they're reading. So you could start with Google Analytics first. Look at your you pages, bet. figure out how much traffic goes to each page, and start with the highest trafficked pages. That would be a good place to start. Yeah, which of those content pieces are keeping people around? We had a client um, that we had worked with, and they had a recipe on their site about lactation cookies for a recipe for it. This was for a um, a birthing center, obviously. <laughs> and it was the highest visited like blog on their site. So then they focused well, on more recipes from that. But... I was like, interesting that that is what people are going to the but site. But is it like shock factor? Or are they really I don't know. Interested might have been, a little, the, might have been okay. a little both. Okay. Are they the only one who has content <laughs> well, like that on their website? we're going to be Googling website? that later. <laughs> it's a hot topic. It's yeah. a hot topic. Yeah. Um, Incognito window. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the other thing that I think is a huge trend, not even a trend, it's just kind of part of naturally what everyone's doing now is video blogs. Yes. How does that affect search? Because it's not actual text. And what does that look like? So I will say that with video, um, Google is actively working on trying to get their algorithms to to pull content directly from video so they can index the video. That said, 
They're working on it. They were also working on Google Glass a couple years ago, and here we are. <laughs> um, I would say that the best thing you can do is, if you do have a video like that, um, make sure that A, you have closed captioning. Uh, if it's one that you've pre-recorded and you you know write out the transcript of what was there, if you can, if you can take the time and add that to as a closed caption, or even have a transcript of what was what was read there that's readable by Google. But even um, just titling your content correctly can help. Oh, you so, bet. I mean, it, it doesn't even have to be overly complicated. Mm -hmm. It's just, rather than video ABC... It should be titled something that someone would search for. The other mm -hmm. thing we we kind of skipped over with the blogs was the snippets and the increase of oh, yeah. of of leveraging that kind of content for your website. It's a way for, especially if you're in a really competitive heading, it's a way for you to win some SEO uh, without having this 18 month strategy. You know, mm -hmm. uh, if you can write the. Um, so when you say snippets, like what part are you? So when you search for something like, um, how do I fix my sink? And then you get these results mm -hmm. of people also searched for and those kinds of things. If you're writing content like that, uh, those, well, we're all doing it. We just didn't realize what they were. Mm -hmm. um, but but everybody, I mean, at least I'm me, but I mean, it, you start all of a sudden you're an hour later, you've looked at 25 different things because it's yep. intriguing and it's a right in line with what you were looking for and you finally mm -hmm. find what you're you know, what you intended for. So yeah. And those featured snippets, it's, I, I just Googled, you know, best TVs 2019 and an article from PC mag comes up and it shows, it shows a little bit of the article right there in the snippet, in the search results. Um, and I guarantee you that particular article is going to get considerably more traffic than anything else on yep. this page mm -hmm. um, because it has the most real estate on the page. Um, so anytime you have a, you know, to, to Ruth's point, if you can write content for, uh, for example, if you have a, if you have something in your industry that is regularly searched for and nobody has p possession of that event snippet, write a piece, write a blog that answers that question directly. And if you can get a lot of traffic to that, you might take that event snippet spot and then boom, that's a huge boon to your traffic. Um, or if you look at some of those questions and the what's in that event snippet is from 2014 or 2013 yep. is an old piece of content, write that because Google something also wants to have current. something rel relevant and recent. Mm -hmm. is that, so that's a huge point, Ruth. Is that what gets hit when you do a voice search for something? Say I'd say, Alexa, what's the best TV mm -hmm. for 2019? Is is that event snippet going to That event Alexa snippet is me? what Alexa is going to read to you. Yeah, okay. um, exactly. Same with... Uh, um, okay, Google is going to do the same thing. So if you are the one in that event snippet, that means that Google trusts that you're the you know, authoritative source for this particular question. Um, and yeah, they'll, it'll be, get read right off to you. And again, now with more people going to voice search or using those devices, it's an even, even more beneficial thing, just in a different way. Cause you know, through your Alexa, you're not likely to come visit my website, but, um, still, if you're the one providing that information, it's That's still a whole nother conversation. <laughs> yeah. about That's our next podcast. Pat. We should do one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. for sure. Um, to go back, jump back to the, the video piece. So you mentioned like putting the transcript on there. So, mm -hmm. I mean, so to, to record the video, cause we've talked about doing that with this podcast. Like we should have a transcript on socialfeedpodcast.com. Yeah. But it's to, not easy though. To type no. all that out. There are a couple tools though can that you use can Dragon use. Or like, that's what I was going to ask do like some transcript? free tools that maybe you could mm -hmm. use. Yeah. So, um, Otter O T T E R mm -hmm. is, is a good one that I've used before. It's a app you can download on your phone and just hit record at the beginning of a meeting or your video recording or this podcast. I have it going on my phone right now to, mm -hmm. to test it out. Um, and Way cool. And it, it, they do, that one does a pretty good job. Sometimes it misses punctuation and it doesn't always recognize different speakers. And so you, mm -hmm. you should proofread that, but for, you know, like a half an hour podcast episode that we're doing, how detailed are we going to be going through everything? But for mm -hmm. a 
two to three minute video that you're putting on your website, that's definitely something you can go through and proofread, even if you're using one of those free tools. But there are paid ones as well. that you can actually rev.com is one of them that that we've used and you you actually send your file to someone to I was just going to say, wouldn't you just get a high schooler to do that for 10 bucks an hour or something? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That sounds like an intern program. Uh That's what I was thinking. But yeah, you you pay per minute of video basically, Mm -hmm. and then they type it and send that transcript or those captions back to you. And so you know that a real person has seen those. So it's going to be more accurate. But you'd have to pay a little bit of money for it. And again, that's that's important because, you know, as of right now with the podcast, we're missing an entire audience of people who might be deaf. Um, whereas if we have that transcript on there, they could read through what's what we're what we're talking about and they could read through that information. Same with same with if we posted a video about something and we don't, you know, if we don't have closed captioning on there, you know, that's that's a lost audience. Um an underserved audience too. So doing those things right will will help your rankings for that piece of content. And then as far as embedding that video onto your site do you guys recommend uploading it to a youtube channel and embedding it because of you know google obviously (laughs) or would should you do it just regularly just upload it to the site i would usually say embed it right in the site but that doesn't i don't know that there's a hard fast okay i don't know if there's a a secret sauce to that one i'd I'd say it depends on the content Mm -hmm. um you know if you embed it just on your site and it's just yours uh, there's a couple benefits to that one is you know at the end of that video it's not going to show somebody else's related content and then five minutes later they're watching somebody try to eat his own fist um you know whatever that (laughs) might be true or they're off on somebody else's website now i mean you you Mm -hmm. don't control that user really if they're if it's, yeah. if it's done differently, but you know, yeah. again, it I have does. lots of questions about you just going <laughs> yeah, to what are you doing on YouTube Sam? What are you watching? And the second side of this argument <laughs> is that, uh, you know, it is, it can be beneficial to, to put, put, post them on YouTube because YouTube is a searchable by Google. It's an owned by yeah. Google. Yeah. Um, as well as, um, if somebody might stumble upon your site based on the YouTube video, then if you do it that way, because somebody, because it would be again, indexed by Google. So I would say it depends on the content, but you could do both. I mean, yeah. it's not like one or the other really. You bet. Yeah, exactly. And then Ruth, when you're talking about those, you call them snippets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So above that, Sam, when you pulled that up, there's those Google shopping ads. Yeah. Yes. So let's talk about that a little bit. Cause that's probably a whole other section of that. Yeah. So those who have e-commerce, tell me about it's- that. <laughs> Yeah, these are um, <laughs> extremely effective. As you, I mean, we all click I've, on them, oh, right? My, I so bought I'm stuff even, from them. You don't even go down the page anymore if you mm-hmm. see the pictures. So mm-hmm. we've got, um, you know, some clients that we work with that are are doing these ads, and they're extremely effective. But they're also very time consuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on how many SKUs you have, this could be not even worth it in some cases. Mm-hmm. I would say you would mm-hmm. probably want to start with your top sellers, maybe your ten top sellers and um, experiment with those that way. Yeah. And it, and it is worth noting that those are purchased spots, you know, just like yes, the it's a part of an AdWords campaign, you bet, basically. You bet. Um, and to Ruth's point, you might, something you might want to put a, you know, an intern on or something, cause you can get stuck in Excel hell for a while <laughs> trying oh, yeah. to, trying to set all that information up and feed it directly to Google appropriately. So it pulls the right image with the right text, with the right link, with the right pricing and all that. So it can be, it can be a, a, a beast, but they're extremely effective for e-commerce clients. Yeah. The other, the other caveat there too, is what are you l- using for your e-commerce or your point of sale? So, you know, mm-hmm. those all have to play well together too. So that factors. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any other advice? We've talked about a lot of different things so so far. Um, a lot of like free cheat tools and and tips. But is there any other piece of advice you guys would give for someone who's just really looking to do a deep dive audit for their brand? Um, I 
I guess I would say there's two other areas that we haven't really talked about for your digital footprint that are huge. One being social media. Um, obviously, you want to make sure that you have strong social channels with strong branding. I can leave you to talk about that. I think you might know a little about it. Um, <laughs> but the other side is uh, your local listings. For any company that's got uh, physical locations, that can be a big piece. And what I mean by that is um, if you're on yellowpages.com or dex.com or... Um, Wait, those are still around? City, <laughs> yes, they City are. City Search. <laughs> City Search. <laughs> yes, um, Yelp. Yelp. It's one of those things where you're going to be on those whether you realize it or not. And it's important to make sure that information is accurate, has, again, the right address. And it's all listed the same way. So you're not 123 fake street ST in one, but 123 fake street STREET in another. You want to make sure that it's it's all the exact same phone number, the exact same address, the exact same way that they list your business name. Um, so it, it is important to go through that. And there are some tools to do that, none of them for free, um, that I know of anyways, no. but uh, there are some like uh, Yext is one that jumps out at me, Yandex, um, where you could you could pull one of those um, audits. It'll say, yep, you're listed correctly in 90%, but these 10% need an adjustment, and you can auto-push auto that to repopulate all those sites. So it is worthwhile to, or worth noting that those local um, local indexing is, is important too. Yeah. How do you guys stay up to date with all the changes with the algorithm? There's certain sites you go to, newsletters you subscribe to. Give a shout out to the people listening because I need it too. <laughs> Help me out here. Um, search Engine Land is a huge one that I follow and I get regular updates from. I mean, Google sends out great content. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Think with Google, like you said. Think with Google is a great resource. Mm -hmm. um, Sam's probably got some others. Yeah, another one. Uh, I uh, I go to those same two quite a bit, but another one that I go to regularly is a uh, SEO Moz. Oh yeah, um, yeah, the Moz blog. They they even do a, a tracker where every time there's a an update to Google's algorithm, they try and notate what changes they saw with their clients. So it might say, hey, this this update had a had a strong effect on mobile. Uh, uh, non-mobile friendly websites. So this mm -hmm. had a strong effect on sites that do with dentistry. Um, so that can be, a, there's a great tracker tool um, on moz.com that, that you can use as well. Um, but I would say search engine line is a big one. Uh, they, they have great opinions as too. They <laughs> do, but they also, it's, it's digestible. So mm -hmm. you don't have to be extremely techie to really mm -hmm. understand what they're talking about, but they oftentimes will know about things that are coming too. not, don't necessarily know in detail, but they kind of get water dropped. Like this is coming, and Google's going to turn everything upside down again. Mm -hmm. So it's it, they're a, they're a good resource. That's my probably my big. But I would also say we rely on each other, oh, and yeah. we rely mm -hmm. on our partners yeah. to know. Yeah, because you can't be an expert in everything. There's just no way. Yeah, just try to stay as up to date as possible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, we'll make sure to include all the links we talked about in today's podcast at the show notes at socialmediapodcast.com slash EP98. Thank you guys so, so much for being on today. Yeah, yeah thank course. you so much Anytime. for having us. Uh, one thing I want to mention before we wrap this up is that we're basically doing all of this that we talked about today on an individual level at our next Hubbard Digital Academy, which is December 9th at Earl Brown Heritage Center in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. And uh, Ruth and then one of our other... Harvard Interactive employees, Jaina Anderson, will be doing brand audits and going through a lot of these tools with specific brands. So if you're overwhelmed by all of this and just need someone to talk to about it, as well as attend a bunch of great sessions throughout the day on video and influencer marketing and social media and stuff that we didn't get into today. But Harvard Digital Academy is going to be a great opportunity for you to just learn in and dive into this world. And then we're also doing these free brand audits as well if you buy a ticket. And right now, just for listeners of this podcast, we have a special discount code for you. We will give you 50% off the 
ticket price for HDA, go to HubbardDigitalAcademy.com, buy your tickets and use the promo code PODCAST50. That's PODCAST50. You'll get half off your registration and that's December 9th. So we've sold out in the past. So don't wait too long. Pat, sounds like you've done that a few times ah, before. Wow. That radio's coming out. <laughs> um, make sure to subscribe to the Social Feed Podcast with Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player to get a brand new episode delivered right to every Wednesday. We'd love to hear what you guys think about these episodes. Go to Facebook and join our group. Search for Social Feed Podcast and let us know what you think or give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. The Social Feed is a production of Hubbard Interactive with music provided by Minneapolis-based artist John Atwell.